So if you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to continue. And if you have your Bibles here this morning, you turn to the end of Matthew, chapter 27. And we're going to try to explain some of the things that we've already been singing about this morning on this Easter Sunday. My name's Joe Crummy, and I'm going to be speaking this morning. And it's great to welcome you. And we're going to go through some of these things, and we're going to share in communion uh, together uh, at the end of our meeting. And so we're looking forward to that as well as we uh, remember the death of Jesus. We remember his resurrection as we've been singing about. And so we help to be able to tie some of these things together. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been building up to this Sunday as we've looked at things coming up, leading up to the Easter week. And Gary looking last week at the Passover and everything like that about Jesus and about being the substitute. So we're going to continue on with that. And today we're going to read about the crucifixion of Jesus, probably one of the most powerful uh, sections in Scripture as we read this through. And so we have quite a long passage to read. And so I'm going to just start in with that, and then we'll take a look at some of the things from this passage. So we're reading from Matthew, first book of the New Testament, uh, towards the end, chapter 27. We're going to pick things up at verse 11. And here uh, we pick up uh, Jesus, and he's on trial. And so if you remember, um, Jesus is portrayed by uh, Judas, and he's brought before the religious leaders, and they uh, pass sentence on him because they say that Jesus is claiming to be God, which is in their uh, blaspheming, and they want him to be killed. But because they're under Roman rule, they can't make that decision, so they bring Jesus to uh, the Roman rule. And that's where we pick up the story. So you can read with me as we go through this. It says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. So he didn't give an answer to the religious leaders. Then Pilate, who's the Roman overseer, said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And then they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas, So when they gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. So Pilate knew what was going on, that Jesus really, they didn't have any real claims that held up against him. So Pilate was looking for a way out. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to him, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So scourging was quite a severe um, beating, and many times a lot of people would die just from that beating. That's how severe it was. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him, and put a scarlet robe on him, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, 
Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. So we just begin to sort of get an understanding of the magnitude of what Jesus uh, went through in every way, both physically, but emotionally, mentally, everything. So Jesus took um, a severe beating in every way. And they went out and they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. So again, gall sometimes would kill people as well. So Jesus went the whole way. He didn't take any shortcuts. He wouldn't even go there. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma, sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's quoting Psalm 22. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Hey, and then we can go on, but just we just don't have um, time today to go on and hear about his resurrection, and we'll look at that in a couple, over the next couple weeks as well. Well, Easter story, there's so many things that you could take, uh, and I mean, you could do a whole year just on this passage. You could take out so many things and so many references to the Old Testament, so I was trying to pick one (laughs) for us to take a look at here this morning as we took a look sort of at the temple a couple weeks ago and Gary looking at Jesus as the Lamb of God last week. And I wanted to focus this whole thing on how darkness plays in this story. And if we went back into chapter 26, we see that sort of the main events about Jesus' life at the end of his life actually took place in darkness. So Jesus was betrayed in the evening when it was dark. Jesus was brought to trial with the religious leaders, which was actually illegal so it was a whole thing. They weren't supposed to do it at nighttime, but they did in the dark and brought the pilot early in the morning in the dark. And then we have this supernatural phenomenon that happens is that Jesus, at the uh, noon hour, the place goes dark from about noon till three in the afternoon when Jesus died. And 
you can read all the different things on it, and they say there's you know, a solar eclipse, and they try to explain it all, and they explain away all the explanations of what took place. And at the end of the day, they say it's just a supernatural thing that it went dark when it should never have gone dark. And in the Bible, okay, whenever darkness like that happens, and you can read about it in the Old Testament, it always means this. It always means judgment. And so in our example, and Gary touched on it briefly last week as we went back into the Old Testament, into the book of Exodus, and we looked at the Jewish people who were in captivity in Egypt, and we had the Passover, and this is what happened if you read about in Exodus 10. On judgment, just before that angel of death went out, it went dark. And guess how many days it went dark? It's an interesting number. It went dark for three days. And if you read about in chapter 10, it says they could feel the darkness. It was a type of darkness that they felt. And God's judgment came upon Egypt and upon Pharaoh. So darkness equals judgment. And folks, I don't know, uh, depends maybe where you live, but we don't really have sort of an appreciation, I don't think, for darkness. Um, Maybe like uh, in times gone by because we have so much light now. And I was just in Boston this week and in the middle of the city and you look up, guess what? You don't see any stars because it's drowned out by all the light. Even in Fredericton, you look up, you can see some stars. You go out into rural areas, you look up and you say, wow, look how many more stars there are out here compared to in the city. But even there, you sort of like have the whole effects of light still around you and it might be dark, but you can still see things. Okay? But if you've ever experienced, and I don't know if you ever have pitch black darkness, it's a weird thing. When you can't even literally see your hand in front of your face, it does things to you. I grew up in uh, Nova Scotia, and I was born in Spring Hill, Nova Scotia, which is quite well known for coal mining. And my grandfather, who was Joseph Crummy, worked in the coal mines for over 40 years. And uh, he actually was killed in the coal mines in 56. They had a major explosion then, and they had a bigger one in 58. And they closed the mines down after that. And in both of those ones, some of these guys were trapped underground for days. And so some of them were like seven, eight days underground with, they ran out of food, they ran out of water, and it's miraculous how some of them survived. I actually met a few of them over the years. It was quite amazing. And one of the things that always stood out to me in hearing those stories and reading about it was this. You can understand how you'd be sort of freaked out when your food runs out and your water, but the thing I never thought about, guess what else was absolutely terrifying and scary and almost drove them mad? was the darkness. Things I would never, I'd never even think about that, but they're a mile and a half underground, okay? Pitch black for 24 hours, 48 hours as it goes on. And what happens when it's black like that, you lose a lot of things, okay? You can't find your way. I'm serious, you can't know if you're going forwards, backwards to the side, you can't see So you lose direction. Okay? You can't even see yourself. And so there's this whole sort of even like loss of identity that takes place. You're isolated. You don't know if anyone else is around you or not. Okay? And the consequences of sort of this physical darkness is this. You get very disoriented. And a lot of the times, some of the guys were actually killed because of this, they get so confused to where they were going, and if they had just stayed where they were, but they got so 
confused and directional at. Sometimes they would fall down other shafts. Other things would happen just purely by losing their direction. Now, folks, the Bible says this. The exact same thing happens spiritually that happens physically. And the Bible says, and a lot of times the Bible uses God as, or uses the Son as an illustration of who God is. You can read about it, one example from Psalm 84. Okay, and we see the Son, and we know that the Son is the thing that gives us light here on planet Earth. And if you were growing up, and um, sometimes you always ask that kind of questions to young kids, which is more important, the Sun or the Moon? And of course, they always answer the Moon because we have the Sun during the day, but the Moon's what gives us light at night. So the moon's more important. You kind of, kind of chuckle and kind of say, well, actually, if we didn't have the sun, you'd never have any reflection off the moon. The sun is the most important. It gives light. What else? It keeps the whole thing with gravity and all the different things balanced, and it gives us life. If we didn't have the sun, we would have no life on planet Earth. And the Bible says God is like the sun. God is the center. He is Light, which the Bible always uses light to refer to truth. And God is life. And without God, you have no light, no truth, no life. And the Bible says that spiritual darkness happens when we turn away from God, who is light and life, and we turn to other things to be the center of our lives. So when we replace God with whatever else, kind of like how we can say the sun, plants, everything else revolves around the sun because that's the most powerful thing. When we replace God with whatever it could be, it could be money, possessions, you name it, okay? It could even be good things like family or career, whatever. When we replace God, the Bible says it's like turning away from God is like turning away from the sun and we go into spiritual darkness and these things happen. There's consequences and all of these things. We turn away from God. It's like being in physical darkness. We lose our direction. We lose our purpose. We lose what are we here for. And we begin living for other things to find our significance, our security, our hope, our peace. All those things we just sang about in that song that we, by the grace of God, have found in Jesus. We search for them in other things. Okay? We look for our identity and other things than God. So it could be our career, it could be our education, it could be what people say about us, it could be our accomplishments, our performance, whatever it might be. Okay? We look for our security and a whole bunch of other things. It could be in relationships, it could be in our financial bank account, it could be in the future. All these things, if we turn away from God, it's like what happens in the physical happens in the spiritual, we get lost, and we get disoriented, and we lose our way. And we lose our direction, our purpose, we lose our identity. We lose all these important things when we try to find them in other things. Okay, and for the sake of time, I could give you all kinds of examples. I'll pick one. I'll pick myself. Okay? Because you can think, well, depends on your opinion, I guess, but you could think, being a pastor is a noble thing, or at least some of you might think that. And you can think, that's a good thing, doing it for God, serving people. But I can tell you this, you can very quickly have all your things wrapped up into your role 
in your title. And it can happen no matter what your career is. It can happen if you don't have a career. Not having a career could become your purpose and your identity and everything else. And even as a church leader, even as a pastor, even serving and trying to do good things, okay, if I let myself, I can lose if I'm not satisfied with God loving me and who Jesus says I am and being satisfied and resting and, a, and letting that be the center of who I am, okay, very quickly I can get lost and spin under control. Because then it goes like this. Okay? Then I'm finding my purpose and my direction in what I do. I find my identity in what either I think about myself or what all of you think about me. And leading a church, let me just say this, as in many other jobs, you're open to lots of criticism. Okay? So, then, my identity and my purpose and my security and my hope and my peace is found on this. How I base my performance, so how I'm doing, or it's based on how I think you think I'm doing. And guess what? You get very insecure very quickly. Or you can get very prideful very quickly. Because some weeks you get lots of pats in the back and you can think, I'm pretty good. <laughs> and you, your head can swell. And the next week everybody can criticize you or not compliment you or be mad at you. And you can go down the other way. That's just a very simple but true, real illustration. You can probably apply that to whatever situation you find yourself in. Because Jesus is not the center that everything else is going around. And most of the time we find out in spiritual darkness as we turn away from God, most of the time, sometimes we're turning away to other people, other idols, different things. Most of the time we're turning away to ourselves. And guess what? We lose our purpose. We lose our identity. Okay? We get isolated from God and from others. We get disoriented. Okay? And the Bible takes it even further than this. The Bible says this. These things just don't lead away from God in the here and now, which they do. The Bible says there's a whole eternity that we have to think about. And the Bible says this, that if we turn away from God here on planet Earth, okay, and you've got to remember, we think of God as being light, truth, and life. As you walk away from God, you're getting further and further from light, truth, and life. And the Bible says this, as we turn away from God, there's an eternal part to it that doesn't just stop on planet Earth. As when we die, we're going to be accountable to God. Because it says this, it says that Jesus is coming back as the Son of God, and he's going to judge. Because remember, darkness equals judgment. Okay, We are all going to be accountable to Jesus on how we lived our lives, what we believed, what we said, what we even thought, our actions, our deeds, our words, everything is going to be brought into the light before God. And we have to give an account of our lives. That's being accountable towards God. And the Bible says this, anything that doesn't measure up to being perfect has to be removed from the presence of God. We talked about that the last couple of weeks, haven't we? About the temple and different things, how it had to be a sacrifice in order to get right with God. And so the Bible's very clear. And if you read just earlier, okay, we didn't have time to go through it, but Jesus, you read about it in chapter 23, chapter 24, chapter 25 of Matthew. Jesus is very clear. He gives all these different illustrations and parables 
about this judgment that's going to come. So the question is this. On this three-hour stint, when Jesus was on the cross, from noon hour till three in the afternoon, when the world went dark, who was being judged at that time? And the answer is this. Jesus was being judged. Jesus, God, was judging Jesus in our place. That's what was going on. There was a judgment happening. It went black, darkness. Everybody was like, what in the world's going on? Okay? Jesus knew what was going on. He was facing the judgment and the wrath of God because Jesus was being that substitute that Gary talked about last week in our place. That the wrath that we were accountable for the things that we've done wrong was put on Jesus. And so, as we take a look, I just want to stop and ask this question, okay? Before we continue on, we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with this whole thing of judgment. Okay? I've got to ask at some point today, so I might as well ask it now. Okay? What do our lives, okay, if you can take that picture, that illustration of the sun, okay, what do our lives orbit, revolve around? Because everything's affected whether you know it or not. So we don't know right now, do we? We don't consciously are aware that right now the sun is influencing everything right now, do we? I mean, we might read it in science books and we understand it, but we don't think about it. And folks, many people every single day never consciously ever think that there's a God and that the choices we're making and what we're putting as the center of our lives is affecting us right now and our future. And the scary thing is this is that if you know anything about science and you get into planets, if you're into all those things, okay, once you get on course around, okay, and the whole gravitational pull and all that, you get on a trajectory that you can't change. So everything's there. And our trajectory, if we turn away from God and we're in darkness, is this. We're getting farther and farther and farther away from God. And if God does not intervene, our trajectory will never change. It's on a course away from God. And folks, this is why we need at the cross. And this is why we remember so much at Easter. Okay? If, whether you realize it or not, our lives are on a trajectory away from God. That just as if you take any other sort of illustration or thing, that if we talk about it and it happens already, okay, if some asteroid or something's on a trajectory towards planet Earth, okay, Unless something intervenes to stop that, it's going to happen. And folks, our trajectory is away from God. And unless someone intervenes, that is going to be where we're headed. And Jesus coming, being sent to planet Earth, as we've been talking about for months now, his death was the only way to change this trajectory. He is the one that came and that he substituted himself it took something okay sin is such a huge thing it took something even greater to change the trajectory of the consequences of sin and we can go through it the bible says the wages of sin is death so it therefore it takes something bigger than death in order for us to be saved and that's the great news of the gospel of jesus christ is that jesus coming and him being the son of god the perfect one who lived the perfect life him dying on the cross, forever changed history. 
and it changed history right away. Isn't that incredible to read? I mean, talk about the Bible being full of, like, weird things, eh? I mean, Jesus dying, earthquake, darkness, tombs opening, people coming out. I mean, the whole zombie craze, it's nothing new, folks, okay? (laughs) People didn't invent, it's in the Bible first, all right? It really is. It's there for you to read. It's quite trippy, yeah? You can't quite understand it all, but it's there, okay? Something, okay, huge took place that forever changed history. And Jesus is the only one in his death that changed our trajectory, judgment, that the judgment went from being on us to the judgment being on Jesus instead. And here's the thing. As we look at, and we just transition, we're just going to spend a few minutes just looking at a few things through Jesus. Folks, here's the things we have to really, really focus on. Is that with darkness, there's judgment. And we have to understand, Jesus entered the darkness. Okay? Even though he was innocent. G- and he, Gary said it this morning, I thought, Gary, you got it. Jesus, light of the world, entered darkness so that we could enter into the light of God, into the presence of God, into the life of God. You see that substitution again? Jesus entered darkness. Okay? And I said again, Jesus entered darkness. He who is light of the world exchanged that so that we who are in darkness can come out and have life and light and truth of God. Now the question is this, okay? As we look at Jesus, the Bible says this, Jesus died and God was satisfied. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we know that's true? How do we know that Jesus, okay, Jesus, there's a penalty to be paid. Jesus paid it with his life. He laid down his life. Blood was shed. The wrath of God was poured out. All the judgment for all the injustice, everything in the world was put on Jesus. We're declaimed innocent. How do we know it's stuck? How do we know God was truly satisfied? How do we know the plan works. And it's simply, we see a couple answers right away. The first thing we see is this. The veil, that curtain in the temple, was torn. And if you remember from a couple weeks ago, okay, about the temple, how the temple was built and God's presence was there and his glory was in the Holy of Holies. It was this inner court and it was separated by this huge veil. And when we think curtain, folks, it was like a wall, okay? It was huge. And it separated God's presence from people. And the only person who could go in was the most holiest person on planet Earth at that time who was the high priest. And even the high priest had to go through all these different things, okay, to get ready to be clean and purified and sacrifice blood for his and sacrifice blood for the people. And only he could go into the Holy of Holies, the holiest guy from the holiest nation at that time as God picked Israel to accomplish his redemptive purposes. Only on one day of the year, and it was might have had others... I have a friend, who, a cousin who's Jewish this week celebrating Passover, Yom Kippur. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest went in, sacrificed okay, to bring okay, atonement, to bring a payment for the sins of the people. And that curtain was there to separate the presence of God perfect with the imperfect. And how we saw there was even courts and all that, that even the Gentiles were far removed from that. When Jesus died on the cross, the first thing God did 
was this. He ripped that curtain. He ripped the veil from top to bottom. Another supernatural event. God was declaring, this sacrifice of my son Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice, and I am pleased. And the veil is taken away, and that means anyone can have now access to God through Jesus. Hallelujah. That is great news for us. Okay, because I'm not Jewish, so that's really good news for me. The veil was torn. God was satisfied. And as we said, folks, today, we don't go through any more sacrificial system. Okay, this morning, you don't have to bring a goat or a lamb or anything and sacrifice it, okay, and present it. We don't have a whole system of priests that you have to go through. We don't have a physical building, a temple that you must go to, okay? We don't make you go, okay, any time in your life, you have to go to Jerusalem to do this. There's not all these things. Jesus is the way to the Father. And the Bible says if we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, he brings us access to the Father, that we actually get to come into the presence of God. And folks, it's a personal thing. Okay, it's a corporate thing, absolutely, but it's a personal thing. We get to call God, Abba, Father. How do we know that God was satisfied? With the sacrifice of Jesus, the veil was torn, and we have access. What's another proof right away? Is this. Of all people to get it, we read that the centurion, the light came on. Talk about being in darkness. The light came on. And then you've got to think about, okay, this guy was the least likely to ever sort of clue in that Jesus is the Son of God. And yet he was the first, after Jesus died and everything that took place, he was the first guy to say, truly, this is, this was the Son of God. He was Roman, so he wasn't Jewish, okay? And Roman, he was a soldier, so he was loyal to Caesar. So Caesar would have been like Lord and God, and if you didn't declare that, okay, he would have been on the cross. Well, you just think about what his job was. He inflicted death all the time. So if anyone's ever seen, I mean, more than we could ever imagine, not only has he exper- you know, seen death, he's inflicted it upon. And yet something in the death of Jesus okay, made him see. And I'm not quite sure. I mean, just think about, like, it's, wondered, it's one to really think about. What was it? that really impacted this guy? Was it the supernatural? Was it darkness? Was it earthquake? That could have been it. Was it Jesus and how he died on the cross and as he cried out to God in such strength yet tenderness? What was it that in that moment, as Angela talked about this morning, where he had revelation, the light came on to say, truly this was the Son of God? How do we know that Jesus' sacrifice was enough? The veil, God ripped it in two. We have access to God now through Jesus Christ. And we have proof right away that a non-Jew had revelation to understand and he confessed that this is the Son of God. Folks, in closing, it all points to this. And this is what makes Christianity unique among religions and philosophies and different things. Christianity is the only religion, if you want to use that sort of title, where God himself suffered. Folks, the magnitude of that is enormous. That God himself 
suffered. It makes Christianity unique. Jesus dying on the cross was the most unique death ever in history, and it's changed history. So what do we learn from it? We learn this, okay? It proves that God loves us. Now, folks, sometimes, and especially in church, and Gary already helped lead us in this morning in worship and that presence and that sense of God's love, like he said, like a blanket over us. Okay? Now, folks, some of you really need to hear this this morning. Okay? You might struggle with, does God really love me? And the cross is absolute proof that God loves you. The Bible says, we can read it in the book of Romans, okay? That God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And it goes on to explain. Sometimes we can see in movies and all of that, we can see somebody dying for somebody else. That maybe the father dies and, you know, for the son and all those different things. What's different than this is, you never see in the movies someone dying to save their enemy. You just don't see it because it very rarely ever happens. You don't have too many movies made about that. Okay? But while we are enemies, while we are still in darkness, Christ died for us. The cross is proof that God loves us. Okay? And every one of us needs to experience and understand that. That is specific. It's for all of us. Christ died, yes, for the world. He died specifically for each one of us. Okay? That is the truth of the gospel, this good news, is it proves that God loves us. Okay? It was unique in this, that God experienced pain. Okay? And as the disciples later understood, they couldn't understand. They were kind of in disbelief and they were all confused about what was happening. But later they looked back and they understood everything about Jesus and his dying. And guess what it did? It comforted them when they themselves went through suffering. Okay? And almost every one of those disciples who was there and bewildered and everything died a very painful death they were martyred for jesus and if you read about guys like peter okay and you read about him and then you read in first peter about jesus saying or peter saying jesus is our example that he suffered and died therefore we can because we know that god himself experienced suffering therefore we have a god who can relate to us and our suffering and that changes everything Okay. We read this famous passage from Isaiah 53, okay, talking about Jesus and the suffering servant. Let me just read this out to you and how it can impact us to realize God himself as we go through suffering, whether it's physical suffering, whether it's emotional, whether we're bullied, whatever suffering we go through, we can understand that God is compassionate towards us because he himself has suffered. We read this. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who consider that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. Folks, Jesus' death proof that God loves us. It's also this. Okay? God himself experienced punishment. Okay? He, expo- he experienced pain and sorrow. All these incredible things God himself experienced. And folks, that brings great comfort when we go through trials and sufferings to realize Jesus can relate. We realize that sometimes we don't understand why we're going through things. But as we read from that, okay, the disciples didn't understand why Jesus had to do this. But afterwards, they were able to see. And we can trust God even through these things. And as we see at the end of Psalm 53, written hundreds of years before Jesus ever lived and died, there's hope at the end because God has a purpose and Jesus has overcome death. Okay? And as we read about the resurrection, as we continue on, Jesus overcame death. And folks, as we share in communion, as we celebrate this Easter Sunday, okay, we want to understand why we're celebrating. Okay? And we're celebrating this just in conclusion, and then we'll share together. Okay? Every one of us, Really, spiritually, we're born into darkness. And darkness leads to judgment as we don't live lives that please God. And Jesus came. Not only did he die, okay, the death that we deserved, he could only do that because he lived the life we should have lived. <laughs> but we can't. We can't live a perfect life, but Jesus did. And Jesus went into darkness And Jesus experienced death so that we don't have to. And the darkness that was due us, we get, because of Jesus, light and life with God. And the death that we should have experienced, that eternal separation 
from God, Jesus experienced, so that we don't have to fear death anymore. And yes, these physical bodies might die, okay? And whether that be young, middle-aged, or old, our spirit can be with Jesus in heaven forever. That is the good news of Jesus. That is the great news that Jesus has taken our place in that judgment and that in not only are we declared righteous and free, we get to live in the presence of God, both here on planet Earth and forever. Okay? And the Bible says what we need to do is this. We just need to believe the truth of this message, that we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, that Jesus is the center of our lives. It's one of the reasons why we changed the name of our church. It's we want Christ to be central in our lives, in our church, in the world, so that everything revolves around him in the proper order. Okay? So this morning, as we share in communion, I'm going to our life groups to help us in a minute. Okay? The bread represents, the Bible says, the body that was broken for us. Jesus' body that was broken on the cross for us, the great sacrifice. It says the drink represents his blood that was shed. And it says this, when we eat and when we drink, we remember the Lord's death and all that that accomplished. But it says we also remember this, we remember that the Lord is coming again, that Jesus is alive and he's going to return someday. And he's going to come and he's going to take those who are followers of him to be with him forever in his presence. And the Bible says this at the very end of the book of Revelation. It's very interesting. It says this, there won't be any sun there. There won't be any of those things because Jesus, light of the world, will be there forever in paradise. So I just want to lead us in a prayer. And then our life groups are going to come. We'll share in communion together. I want to lead us in a prayer. I just want to say this. You have an opportunity here this morning, depending upon where you're at. Maybe you're like the centurion. Maybe you didn't even know that this Jesus even existed. But something today in revelation from God by His Spirit, you want to say, I want to know more about this Jesus. And we invite you to be able to talk to us and we can help lead you in. We can help pray with you. We can help explain more this good news. Okay? Some of us as Christians this morning, we need to remember the benefits okay, and what, we, what Jesus accomplished. And it's not just for everybody else. Yes, it is, but it's also for you. <laughs> and we need to live in the good of what Jesus accomplished. So I just want to lead us in a prayer for those two things, and then we can share in remembering Jesus together, okay? Father in heaven, we want to thank you this morning, again, for your son Jesus. We thank you for this great news that you've made a way for us to have access to you, to be in your light and life, in your presence, and it's through Jesus Christ, your son. And Father, I pray this morning for people here who might not know this Jesus as Lord and Savior, everything we're singing about this morning. I pray, just as Angela came, Lord, I pray that you are the one who turns the light on just as you did with the centurion. I pray in hearts right now that you, by your Holy Spirit, would give a revelation, an understanding of Jesus and all that he is and all that he's done and all that he's going to do. And Father, I pray for those who are followers of Jesus today but maybe have lost it, maybe have turned away, maybe are in a bit of darkness. God, I pray, would you shine your light again that they would know their purpose and their identity, Lord, in life is to be having you as center of all of our being. Lord, that we would live for your glory. We pray 
now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.